Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Reed, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the role of health data and how empowering patients with their own health information can enable better decisions and in this case, selecting the best Medicare Advantage plan to improve healthcare outcomes. In 2022, for example, more than 28 million people enrolled in Medicare Advantage, and that number has been growing 8% plus every year since 2010. But how effective is the industry at placing patients into the plan that best suits their personal needs? And to explore this and more, I'm pleased to be joined by Munjal Shah, CEO and co-founder of Health IQ, which aims to help seniors live more years in good health. And this starts by using seniors' detailed health records to find the precise MA plan from over 3,000 plans that are out there that is the most personalized to their needs and will best support their health in the coming years in what the company calls Precision Medicare. And Joel, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Charles. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, you know, as I was you know, looking into the company here, it's interesting that the, the start of Health IQ is, is actually tied to your own uh, personal health journey. I would love uh, if you could share a little bit of your story. Yeah, you know, I um I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is actually my third company. You know, as I was selling the last one, we actually sold it to Google in 2010. Um, and it was a machine learning computer vision company. We had worked for years on it. Um, the day after uh, we sold the company, I ended up with chest pains and ended up in the ER. <laughs> so, what what should have been kind of one of the better days of my life, having achieved this milestone that I'd been seeking for so long. Um, you know, ended up at at a journey um, where I, I had, you know, significant, uh, uh, realized I had significant health risk um, and then went on a journey of just changing my own health. I lost 30, 40 pounds. Um, I'm not a tall guy. I'm five, six. So 30, 40 pounds on me was a lot and really just learned a ton about diet, nutrition, and eventually even medicine. And that same journey then continued when my father-in-law got diagnosed with something that we had to go and deal with. My own father got diagnosed with something. My mother got diagnosed with cancer. And just in leading them through all of those journeys, I ended up interacting with the healthcare system a lot more than I had in the past, and and it led me to realize some of the um, the need and the insights that uh, led to creating Health IQ. It's it's interesting because I think it, in part of your situation, right? Um, it seemed like your it was your persistence to keep investigating, you know, you know, issues with yourself that discovered more because you know, given that you were a certain age and you know your, your blood sugar was fine, you know, the the doctor said, well, you know, you're not you're considered like this, the standard of care is sort of these kind of broad guidelines that are not that specific. And, you know, and I guess the question is, you know, what, what, what do you think of standard of care right now? You know, given, given what you had to kind of go through. Yeah. You know, the, the standard of care is that which works best for 51% of people. <laughs> it's kind of the definition, right? And it's 51% of the people who are in the studies. Um, you know, there's a lot of data that suggests, for example, that uh, South Asians like I am, you know, end up with heart disease about a decade sooner and end up with diabetes about 
sooner than your average Caucasian does. And so the standard of care, A, was designed probably you know, more for a specific ethnicity and hasn't been tailored necessarily, although people are starting to modify the standard of care now. But more importantly, it's it's that which works. I mean, there are some medications that only work for 30% of people. They're actually ineffective on 70, yet they're the standard of care. It's just that they don't hurt the other 70. So they say, well, it works for 30. It doesn't hurt the other 70. It doesn't help the other 70. Um, so we're going to go ahead and put it as as one of the uh, mechanisms we use or one of the steps in our treatment process. But, you know, really what you want is you want something that works for you. And I think people have failed to realize just how different everybody's bodies are and how they react very differently to different medications and, you know, how their default set point is different. You know, somebody else could never exercise and probably never get a heart attack. And some people, if you don't really take great care of yourself, uh, you have a very high chance of of having some sort of uh, incident. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, you know, and that kind of leaves us a little bit about health IQ here. You know, you, you talk about precision Medicare, uh, and and it's it is, but it seems very grounded in the idea of precision healthcare. Right. So you know, now that everyone's health records are in a digital form with EHRs, you know, have we started to see uh, the data from EHRs change change the way the standard of care is being set? You know, is it becoming more personalized in your view? Yeah, you know, it's it, there's been a lot of good work done on trying to use genetics and other data to deliver this precision medicine, right? And to really look at how to treat each patient based upon their needs um, and, and a personalized need and risk assessment as such. But nobody's done it for plan selection. And if you think about it, the plan does impact your level of care. It impacts, you know, the doctors that are available to you, especially the specialists. It impacts how quickly you can see them. We all know sometimes that waiting three months, six months to see a specialist allowed that disease to progress into a level where now treatment is much, much harder. And so speed does matter. Access does matter. Um, in addition, you know, things like this plan requiring uh, pre-authorizations. Um, you know, I actually just recently heard the stat that only... Uh, that 55% of the time when a carrier denies a pre-auth, the doctor doesn't appeal it. And so pre-authorizations also limit access in a way. Um, and so we just said, hey, let's let's find the right plan. Let's find the plan for your disease that gives you the best benefits that, and because of those benefits, you'll seek treatment. You know, sometimes um, people on diabetes have a need for orthotics because diabetes can also cause issues in your lower extremities of your foot when it gets advanced. But you know, some plans it's a $30, uh, some plans it's a $10 or $30 copay and some plans it's a 30%. Well, orthotics can be $300, that's $90 for a senior on a fixed income. That's a lot and they might not get it. And they might just suffer more as a result. And so um, I think that we have come to realize that nobody's applied this idea of precision to plan selection um, and there are, there's, you know, actually you mentioned 3,000, actually in the latest update, there's 4,000 plans in the country. There's 43 plans per county on average for a senior to pick from. So uh, there's a lot of choice out there and all plans are not the same. Yeah. Is is that why you started with seniors? And, you know, so I, I guess, you know, when you're starting Health IQ, you know, why why focus on seniors, you know, and, and actually through an, as an insurance broker model? Yeah, so Health IQ is a Medicare Advantage broker. 
And the big difference of what we do from everybody else is we import the detailed health record of the senior and use it to figure out which plan to pick. And when we looked at that, we said, huh, which market do you apply that concept to? Do you apply that concept to people under 65? Do you apply that concept, you know, who are trying to pick a plan on the exchanges, right? The ACA exchanges, <clears throat> or do you apply that concept to seniors trying to pick a Medicare Advantage plan? And um, we realized two things. One, you you want to go somewhere where people have a lot of choice. There's only three plans to choose from. Precision Medicare is not nearly as useful. Um, and, uh, and second, uh, you want to go to a place where people have something in their health record. <laughs> if you do it on a fairly healthy 30-year-old, I mean, what are you going to have? Like you're going to have one prescription that shows that she had an ear infection and an antibiotic for some sinus infection she might have had, and that's it. Well, you can't really help them truly pick the right plan because there isn't enough data about their true health status versus, you know, by the time you're 65, these are the main consumers of, of healthcare in America. They usually have quite uh, uh, lengthy health records and health histories. Um, and it's not just 65 plus, probably starts at about 50 plus. Um, but we decided to focus on the 65 plus because A, the Medicare market and B, the, um, the amount of data that's in the health record to allow us to actually forecast correctly. Then maybe as, you know, just to, to compare a little bit, you know, maybe talk about the traditional broker model, right? Obviously, you know, you go as a senior, you're going to a broker and, and ostensibly they're there to help you pick the right player. You know, what, what is it about the traditional model do you think that's really inhibiting patients from finding or, you know, members to find the right plan that suits their needs? You know, I think that um, the traditional brokers just don't know your health history at this level of detail, right? They yeah. don't know... The, you know, ironically, it's a relationship sell, you know, 80% of Medicare Advantage plans are still sold across the kitchen table and sold by somebody who, you know, knows the names of your grandkids and has built a relationship with you, but not necessarily truly understands your health needs at a detailed medical level. And so we've been able to do that and say, hey, look, you know, you want the broker to know, and you kind of don't always want to have to tell them if you're a senior and you're having incontinence issues, that's not something you want to bring up. But if they can just know it and see it and say, hey, I think I got to make sure I put this person on a plan with a large OTC card benefit, which is the over-the-counter uh, things that you can spend at Walgreens and, and CVS, then they can buy those um, adult diapers in that case. And that's something that the senior is probably never going to tell them um, just out of embarrassment. But if it's in the health record, they can automatically incorporate that data. So some of it is, but most of it's just they don't have it. And then the second part is, even if they had it, you'd have to build a tremendous number of <clears throat> AI models to forecast. We don't just say, what do you need today? We say, what drugs are you going to be on in the next 12 months? What procedures are you going to get in the next 12 months? Because you can only change Medicare Advantage plans once uh, a year, but your health might transition during that year. And we want to try to anticipate that a little bit and you know, your average broker wouldn't have all the medical knowledge and the history and the scientific understanding and the research paper analysis to say that, you know, somebody in stage two rheumatoid arthritis has this probability given these blood markers to transition to stage three in the next year and require Humira, which is a very expensive drug. Um, and therefore, you want to pick a plan where maybe Humira is a little cheaper. Like we do that level of analysis for our seniors. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about because that, that was sort of where I was kind of going with um right you know you you know health iq 
you're using the patient's own medical record to not only select the plan, but, you know, how, how you know, talk a little bit more about the technology then and you know, how are you predicting and forecasting uh, potential needs versus obviously everyone wants to make sure their drugs are covered and their doctors and network kind of thing. But beyond that, obviously, the, you know, what they don't yeah. want to expect. So let, let's start. So first is, you know, we, we import um, your data and it comes with what are called CPT codes, which are treatment codes. And these are the billing codes that a doctor sends off and says, I did stitches on Manjal. That's a very specific CPT code for stitches on your you know, right arm. Or, you know, I'm just giving an example here. We look at all your CPT codes and analyze what procedures you had done. And then we forecast what procedures we think you're going to have done. So, ooh, you didn't get that knee replacement last year, but we think you're probably going to get one this year because we notice your opioid dosage has been going up. Uh, you've been visiting the pain management specialist a lot. So we, we forecast. We look at the present. We look at the future on treatments. We look at your diagnosis codes, which are called ICD codes, your, your diseases and conditions. And we also forecast what those are. But we also look at your diseases and say, the average person who has these conditions tends to get these treatments. Maybe you didn't this year, but you might next year. And then we look at both of those against the plan. And we're like, oh, this plan has good support for this. This plan allows for cardiac rehab, 12 sessions with $0 out of pocket. This other plan doesn't cover it at all. If you've had two stents put in, you might want a plan that has cardiac rehab in case you end up with another more, more involved procedure down the line. Um, even on the things that you mentioned earlier, where you know some of the plans will ask you what medications you're on, we, the good news for us is we don't rely on, on the senior to have to go to their medicine cabinet and read it kind of one by one and say, I'm on levothyroxy, oh, how do you spell that? L-E-V, you know, like that's literally what happens today on phone calls. Um, and 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 sometimes they forget a med or they leave off a word. They'll say, I'm on metformin, but not metformin ER, the extended release version. And the extended release version might have a different price or might not. But like, that's a, a good example. We get the exact drug number, which allows for almost no data entry error or no reading error in it. The second is we get, all of their doctors, again, allowing for no errors. The average senior today, we're importing 28 current and past medications. We're importing on average 16 doctors they've seen in the last three years. So wow. even if they had sat there and told their broker, hey, make sure my doctors are in network. Okay. But they're not going to remember 16 names. You know, They'll remember their top doctor, their main PCP maybe. They'll remember one or two others, and then they'll forget. They'll forget their urologist. They'll forget their interventional cardiologist. They'll forget their pain management specialist. Like they'll, you know, they'll just forget some of their other specialists. And then they get in the plan, and then they start trying to use it. And then they're like, "Oh my god, my doctors are not in network because many Medicare Advantage plans are narrow network plans, and therefore have a very limited set." And so we analyze all of that. We even forecast what specialists do we think you're going to see that you haven't seen yet in the next 12 months and how many are available in your county? How many are taking new patients? How many are within 10 miles of your house? Like we we truly try to go through as thorough an analysis as we can um, for that senior. You know, two questions, right? You know, first is, um, you know, how you know it, the way you describe it, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought there would be that much variation among Medicare advantage plans because the way I understood it, right? You there's certain defined benefits that they all have to carry. And, uh, you know, obviously if it's a high, you know, highly rated plan, they, they tend to use that bonus to give extras into the plan. Um, you know, but it, 
but it, it sounds like it's such a it's so diverse uh, among that like you know how does that occur really yeah i mean look plans um plans do have differences there's some areas they have bigger differences than others um durable medical equipment we found quite a few differences um that's things like sleep apnea machines home oxygen tanks motorized wheelchair access and and it's it's not always necessarily that they have different benefits, but they might have different barriers to getting those benefits. More hoops you have to jump through. We've noticed, you know, quite a bit of difference in which doctors are in which networks, and that's that's a big deal um, for folks. But there are differences. These plans are constantly trying to differentiate. Like, there's 43 plans per county. You think they're all identical? I mean, those plans are each fighting for market share from the other plan. Uh, what happens each year is they file new plans and they try to differentiate. They are constantly tinkering with plan design to try to attract uh, more and more customers um, and gain market share. And so I think that that's a uh, it's a constant uh, evolution where they're constantly changing plans. You can actually change formularies. So what tier a drug it is in? There's four tiers of uh, drug pricing in Medicare Advantage: tier one, two, three, and four. And the higher up the tier, the more the consumer has to pay, the senior has to pay. Um, and you know, you can only change plans once a year, but they can change their formularies every three weeks, basically. And so oh, wow. yeah, you, you know, it's kind of it's also important to just have a historical analysis on your exact medicines. How many times last year did that plan change the tier of that medication? And so we actually yeah. analyze that too. We call it kind of pricing stability uh if you sense and and so there's some there's a lot of little nuances like that and again remember your average senior on medicare advantage makes 30 to 40k a year for them a few hundred dollars a thousand dollars out of pocket is a big number the average out of pocket bill uh we've estimated on medicare advantage is about two thousand eight hundred dollars for other for kind of treatments and co-pays and about five hundred dollars for medication out of pocket so it's almost, you know, $3,400 a year on somebody making 30, 40 K. Like that's a big deal. You know, you talked about all the different ways that the platform and the technology really looks to match, you know, that best plan. Right. And, and But if you have 28 different medications, 16 different specialists, um, you know, and, and, and then you also try to forecast who you might need to see in the end, how well, uh, you know, how well are you able to match somebody to the right plan? I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, my guess is yeah. you can't get a hundred percent, right? No, uh, <laughs> we can't. Um, but you know, how close do you get uh, on average? It depends per person, per county, et cetera. But um, in general, look, our what we do is we just stack rank all the plans. We literally just say the current plan you're in is ranked number seven in the county. Here's the plan that's ranked number one for your needs, for your conditions, for your doctors, for your medications. And that's what we do. And so that might be still that, the best plan only has 10 of your doctors in network, but it's still 10. Every other plan has less. And we actually show you the sub ranking. So we'll be like, overall rank, this plan, this plan. Oh, doctor rank, this. Oh, drug out-of-pocket cost rank, this. Oh, rank for your our rheumatoid arthritis rank, two, versus that one is ranked seven. Okay. you know, So we actually go condition by condition by condition, get the ranks, and then, and then we calculate kind of an average calculation. And we look at both what we believe will lead you to the best health outcomes as well as save the most money um, out yeah. of pocket. So we look at both things. And, and, and you know, when you kind of uh, survey your, your members, you know, what, what are the most uh, things that they, they really enjoy about the platform? Is it that 
the sub rankings to be able to kind of go, uh, is it just a simplification for them because you kind of do all that work for them? You know, what, what you is know, the we, feedback you get? We just end up sharing with them, hey, ma'am, this is the best plan for you. And here's a couple of reasons why. Yeah. Um, people don't want, you know, um, the detailed analysis is is a lot from, you know, for most people don't want that level, right? And even forecasting future disease transitions they might have, people don't necessarily want to know that either. You don't want to be like, hey, I think you're going to transition from stage two to stage three rheumatoid third arthritis. Like, oh, I don't want to know that. Um, but we're still doing our jobs and taking care of them and anticipating what they might need and just making sure we've done the right analysis to put them in the right plan. But if you look at, uh, you know, the, the seniors in the interaction, I, I will tell you the, we get a very positive response right up front when we review things with them. We say, Hey, we imported, it shows you visited these 16 doctors. Can we go through them? Uh, you still seeing Dr. John, still seeing Dr. Fred, still seeing Dr. Shaw, you know, you just go through it and they go, yes, yes, yes. Still taking this medication? Yes. Oh, still taking that one? Oh, no, I stopped taking it. It doesn't work. I hate it. Makes me nauseous all day long. Oh, okay. Did you tell your doctor that? Oh, you probably should. You know, like, but we'll go through all that. Then we'll go, you're still having this condition. You still have this condition. You still have this. I will tell you by the end of that conversation, what the seniors have come to the conclusion of, by and large, is, oh, my God, these guys really understand my health. And so while the details of the calculation of what's the best plan is, is a bit more detailed than most people want, they definitely are like, okay, they get me. They understand my needs. This yeah. person I'm talking to, you know, has my full health history in front of them. And therefore what comes next is way better informed than, you know, what they recommend next is way better informed than, than anything. So I, I don't know that everybody can comprehend all of the complexities and detail and, but they don't need to. And then we give them two or three, you know, benefits. We're like, look, this is why this is a good plan for you. Reason one, reason two, reason three, done. We'll be like, oh, you're on levothyroxine for your thyroid, right? Yes, I am. Awesome. You know, do you uh, get dry eyes and dry skin a lot, ma'am? Oh, I do. Do you spend a lot of money over the counter on lotions and eye drops? I do. Well, your current plan only has a $100 OTC allowance. You know, this plan I can move you to will give you $300. Will that help you pay for more of the the uh, eye drops and the lotions. Oh, that'd be great. And so we literally tie kind of their needs their on their specific conditions to the benefits in the plan. You know, and, and because of that though, you know, are you, do you, do you try to measure sort of the health outcomes of, of members who have picked plans for you and, uh, you know, may, maybe talk about sort of, you know, what, what some of those outcomes look like? Yeah, you know, we we this thing has been running for about a year. It's still a little early for us to have a true sense of the health outcomes. Um, that would need to be something we do longitudinally over the last over the next two three years. So, I don't want to kind of present data that I don't have yet. You know, in terms of it, um, we do know that our algorithms predicting the disease transitions are fairly accurate. And the reason, you know, so when we're forecasting your future needs. We know those are fairly accurate because when we imported all these people's health records, <clears throat> we typically got three years of health records. So we built our machine learning by training it on year one and two and predicting year three. So in a sense, we already had a longitudinal data set because how we import the history. And as a result of that, we were able to kind of already break it up into a training set and a test set uh, to kind of use some um machine learning parlance, but we, we ended up doing that 
training it on the two years and predicting the third year. Oh, that's um, pretty interesting. Yeah. And so we don't know the total, total element of what you're asking, but we know the algorithms are at least forecasting correctly um, based upon the data we have so far. So, so you've been you've been at this uh, a, a couple of years now. Maybe, maybe talk about a little, you know, the, the growth you've experienced so far, and uh, you know, and, and sort of how you're thinking about you know this market uh, as you move forward. It's clearly, you know, just organically the market is growing. Uh, maybe some maybe some uh, indicators of you know how you're performing within this market. Yeah, I mean, the, there's no shortage of people turning 65. Eleven thousand people a day turn 65. Um, so, no, so you're talking, you know, well over <laughs> almost 4 million people a year turning 65, right? So that's, that's kind of the first part. Second, you have Medicare Advantage is gaining market share at a very high rate from traditional Medicare and Medicare supplement. So it is the fastest growing part of the Medicare market on top of that. Third, the government pays for it. So it's kind of recession proof. You know, people aren't going to, and, and it's free. 90% of people pay a zero premium they do pay all these out-of-pocket costs on the back end if they use services, but but the upfront cost is free. So that helps in a recessionary environment, although most of our customers are retired. So honestly, they're not exactly also not susceptible to a recession in the traditional getting laid off sense. And then the government actually increases the commission payouts to brokers by an inflation adjustment every year. So in this high inflationary environment, it's even better for that. So I, I think you got a lot of those. You know, we've been growing quite substantially. The company's over a thousand employees today. We were 200 employees back at the beginning of COVID. So just in a couple of years, we've, we've grown a lot and our Medicare business has grown so much. Actually, we, we used to have a life insurance and an auto insurance business that we also did some very unique health record importing and digital underwriting for. Um, but we shut all those down now because the Medicare business is, is really the, the place we've focused and the main thing that uh, we're focused on. You know, I, I'd imagine that, you know, health plans would actually like what you're doing, right? Because if you're fitting the member into the right design, you know, then, you know, from the, the health plan's view, right, that member's going to be very satisfied. You know, they're going to write a very positive survey, goes into their star scores. You know, the member's probably more adherent, right? aligned with everything. You know, is this something that, you know, you go to, is this something that you can speak to plans about and sort of the benefits? Uh, of your platform? You know, we, we truly believe that if you get the right person to the right plan, both are happy. The plan gets a member that'll be more sticky. You know, most plans lose lose money on the first year that a customer is with them. And so they want people, if people only last a year, then they're constantly losing money. They, they need them to last year two, year three with the plan to kind of make up the medical loss ratio deficit that's there from the first year. We believe that if we get you in a plan that has all the doctors you need, that has all the specialists you need, that has the right coverage you need, that you know kind of fits your your requirements, you're more likely to stay, frankly. And so that's our our first kind of thing. Second is we actually help plans with something called their star ratings. Medicare has this one to five star rating system, and if you're a four or five star plan, you make five percent extra bonus. Now, remember, the net income of most of these plans is around that number, 5%. So this like doubles net income. In fact, recently, uh, Aetna lost, uh, went down in its stars. And if you notice, its share, the market cap of what CBS Aetna is like a Fortune 5 company, I think. Like it's a pretty large. It's definitely up there. Yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely up there. And they their stock dropped 10% one day on a company yeah. that big over just the star ratings because it was 
it was a small percentage of the revenue they lost, but it was a huge percentage of the margin, right? And so um, this star rating system matters a lot. And the star rating is made up of two parts, something called a HEDA score and something called a CAP score. The CAP score is a customer satisfaction survey. This year, that CAP score is 63% of the weighting. And it's, you know what questions are in there? It's things like, oh, how hard, how hard was it for you to get an appointment with a specialist? Well, we made sure that you got put in a plan that has a lot of specialists available in the exact specialties you need within 10 miles of your house, taking new patients without a six-month wait. Great. Well, you're just going to do better. The carrier is going to do better because we match them to the plan that matches kind of the capacity and the feature set that they have. And so... Um, and there's lots of other customer satisfaction questions that Medicare sends out in that star rating survey, uh, the CAP score. But that's um, like there are many ways we can help with that. We also can help with undiagnosed conditions. We're like, oh, Manjal has these three diagnosis codes. He's missing this fourth. But 95% of people that have these three have this fourth. Maybe he's undiagnosed for that condition. You might want to check the next time he comes into the doctor's office and uh, and send a note to the doctor to check for it. And and that that helps them in a number of different ways because uh, some of the pricing um, actually follows. But you know this is good for the patient because we truly find uh, undiagnosed conditions that maybe I wasn't being treated for, but I should have been treated for. So. But plans can't actually; they have to be sort of neutral about uh, of the brokers uh, that are bringing members to them. Is there, you know? But I'd imagine they, you know, they would like it if some more of their members found them through you, uh, through Health IQ, because it seems like they would get they would get better fitting members into their plan. Are there any ways you can work more with the plan or is it really just just having more awareness uh, uh, with the plans? Um, look, I, I think, you know, they they will continue to partner with all the different people yeah. that they need to partner with to fill their book. But I think that, you know, we hope over time that they will realize that the Precision Medicare customers were bringing were a better fit, were stickier we're more satisfied, you know, all of those things. And, and I think we will um, help to instrument that so that we can show that, where we can show that they have better, what's called 90 day disenrollment rates, you know, than, than others. They, they, they don't leave in the first 90 days as fast. And hopefully we will show that their cap scores are actually higher. You can only do that. This is, you know, you have to figure out kind of how to measure that yourself independently, but we'll measure that. We'll send them a survey. It says, how hard was it for you to schedule with a specialist <laughs> and compare our precision Medicare people to other people and, you know, and just be able to kind of analyze that. Yeah, that'll be interesting when when you're able to get that, you know, but healthcare, right, and personal health, though, it isn't just at that moment that you select the plan, right? I mean, obviously, you know, through the course of the year, their health is changing. You know, I think you guys do more than just help someone pick a plan. You're kind of, you know, with them, you know, through that through that year. Talk a little bit about how you, you help members, you know, beyond just that plan selection phase. After you use our Precision Medicare system, some people buy a plan through us, some people don't. Regardless, we ask you if you'd like to be enrolled in a product we call Medicare monitoring. Think of it as like credit monitoring. Because we believe that everybody should see a copy of their health record on a quarterly basis, at least. You all see, you know, we all get a copy of our, our credit record, make sure that there's nothing that, you know, untoward happening there. And we believe you should be doing the same thing with your health record. Actually, 3 million people a year are actually the victims of what's called medical identity fraud, where I have stolen your identity and gotten a prescription, typically an opioid, under your name because I had too many prescriptions under my name ostensibly because I'm you know, an opioid addict. 
and I steal your data and and utilize it to basically, you know, the 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 the, the bad actor here takes your data and utilizes it to get a prescription and then you gets that and it shows up on your record. And then when you go to the doctor and you're like, oh, I'm in pain for this. And the doctor looks in your record and is like, oh, you know, he might not even say it to you. Um, he might just say, you know, let's try a home remedy for this or let's, you know, like he might not prescribe you that medication uh, because he thinks you're an opioid. Uh, you've got a ton of opioid prescriptions when actually you didn't at all. And so that could result in you having more pain. And so you should check. And there's lots of other examples of medical identity fraud. And so um, we send you that quarterly update. Here's your health record. Here's your health record. Oh, wow. This seems to have changed in your health. Can you confirm this? Seems like, you know, you have this whole new need. And then based upon that, if the need is big enough and if their current plan doesn't handle it well enough, then we might recommend a, a new plan for them. But we, you know, we, we tend to not to want to do that too aggressively because we know it's important. The con- continuity with your doctors and continuity with your plan is important, but if it's a significant enough change and your current plan has a significant enough deficit in that issue in treating that issue, then we might actually recommend a, a change for you. And so we have this constant quarterly email that you get. It, it, do you find that that's the, the key way to, to keep members engaged with you? And, and I guess just before that, you know, what, you know, what percent of your members uh, elect into the, the monitoring? Uh, you know, most, <laughs> most who are willing to give us their health record, which, um, you know, a very high percentage of people say yes on the health record. Because they truly, this is a case where they truly recognize that the your broker knowing more about your health is going to help them do their job better. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we say, hey, whether or not you bought with us, we're like, would you be okay if we keep sending you a copy of your health record every quarter? And we sign you up for this product called Medicare Monitoring. And like, who says no? <laughs> it's free. It's easy. Of course, I want to see a copy of my health record. And so um, I would say that that... Uh, opt-in rate is extremely high. Uh, that's, I, I, maybe it's a little too soon. I mean, is the assumption here though, let's say for the for the person that didn't end up buying a plan through you, but is getting the monitor, is your expectation that next year, you know what, hey, I, I really like this. Uh, let, let me stick with Health IQ all the way then. Yes, that's exactly yeah. thoughts. You know, something I know that you brought up in, you know, sort of some of our conversations beforehand, uh, you know, has been the uh, 21st Century Cures Act. You know, and what it can provide in terms of expanding the role of EHR data. Maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts on, you know, as this, you know, the implementation of this act, and you know, what it might mean for the broader healthcare industry. Yeah, you know, um, so this act was passed in 2016, and it really was about patients' rights and patient access to data, and said every patient has a right to get their data digitally in a file format called FHIR, you know, and instantly. Not like, oh, I got to wait a week to get it. And they basically said by October of 22, all of you have to implement EHR upgrades, allowing for this, all the providers and and the carriers. And so um, everybody's been hard at work on it. And of course, that deadline just came last month. Um, And the fines are huge. They're $750,000 per request if you cannot <laughs> deliver the data. So it is a pretty punitive law, um, which is why they gave so much time to implement it. 
Um, and for people to get their systems ready, they gave them, you know, six years to do it. And so, um, but now it's here. And as a result of that, there's so, it's so much easier to get access to your own healthcare data and then to share it with parties who are going to use it to help improve your healthcare, that it's, it, it's a bit of a sea change in, in kind of that data, that data access, that data ownership. You know, before it was locked up in some electronic medical record system and, the only people who could really even access it well were kind of the software vendor that actually made that system. Um, you know, the doctors even were frustrated with their ability to find it. They couldn't find that somebody had gotten a, uh, you know, there's actually a case I was talking to an MA plan and they said, we found that this one patient was on <laughs> four different blood thinners prescribed by four different doctors that none of the doctors knew <laughs> that the other doctor had prescribed. And he didn't know. He just said, I don't know. They tell me to take the blue pill and the red pill and the this pill and the that pill. So I take them all every day. And he and and literally his blood must have been like water at that point. Um, <laughs> and his risk of a hemorrhage or risk of getting a cut and bleeding to death would have been extraordinarily high um, because they weren't able to coordinate care because he had visited a number of different doctors. And and hopefully this helps to address that. And I think that's part of it. This was actually this wasn't a. Uh, you know, a blue bill or a red bill. This was a bipartisan um, effort on the Cures Act. Both sides really believed in this uh, healthcare access and um, and health information access, and and it's it's really brought a lot more data uh, to light. You know, we, we I hear though. You know, you know, we hear sometimes though that even with this interoperability, it, it, there's still difficulties, right? Because you know, interoperability, you have to have, you know, certain APIs to be able to connect, but still there's a lot of different standards out there. You know, you know, how much more do you think needs to get done, you think, before you know, we can really see this truly free flowing back and forth yeah. of data? My, my guess is a lot. Um, it depends on what you're talking about. You know, the data we process is mostly all structured. Um, CPT codes are a very structured data set. They do have a bunch of weird idiosyncrasies and sometimes bugs, but you can work through that. Um, ICD codes are also highly structured. Prescriptions all have a unique prescription number, right? A unique um, identifier for that medication. Same thing, there's a unique identifier for every doctor. What we don't import a lot of is the doctor's detailed notes. And if you are building an application that needs that, I suspect um, that's one area for sure that there needs to be a lot more work to kind of analyze those notes and and turn them into value and, you know, kind of cross index them against another doctor's notes. So if you can get access to that, would you find that I'd imagine that'd be also helpful to, to your business in terms of being even be able to personalize even more, getting more context in. Possibly, but yeah, we have so much to tackle already. I mean, remember the comp, we are literally the only broker that does this, you know, and so the substitute is a person who knows almost nothing about you, except maybe you shared, I had a hip replacement last year, dear broker, you know, and I still have to get it done on the other hip. So make sure I get a plan where the hospitalization costs are lower. Uh, okay. You know, but that's the most that he might know. I think that we're already so far ahead in, in just understanding the healthcare needs at a detailed level that, um, we we'll we'll go to that next level too, but um, there's a lot you can do at the structured level. 
Yeah. You know, maybe maybe just to kind of finish off here, you know, you, you started with Medicare, um, but the health IQ model, you know, I think should be applicable to the commercial market as well. I, obviously, to your point earlier that, you know, a young 20-year-old working probably has very little in their health record, but how, how would you apply it to the commercial market? And is, it, is this an area of uh, a future interest for the company, possibly? Like possibly. I mean, we're not we're not opposed to it. I, I think that there's a um, uh, you can you can do a number of things, but the most importantly, look, there's always about even in the under 65 market, there's about 20 percent of folks or so who do have you know pretty significant health records. And um, so we would utilize this product to be able to um, uh, help with that. And and they're buying on the Affordable Care Act exchanges. A lot of those exchanges and plans are high deductible plans, right? And so they really care about this analysis of what is going to be my out-of-pocket costs on plan A versus plan B. Um, and the same is true on a lot of corporate side. A lot of corporate plans are high deductible plans. And on those plans, you know, you save some money on premium, but you end up having to uh, pay more out of pocket. And so again, in those areas, this analysis would be most relevant. Uh, would, that, and so- would that be an interesting analysis though? You know, maybe flip it over, right? You know, is there a, a way you could actually sell to employers, right? You know, your patient, your employees have this kind of risk profile. We're seeing these kind of doctors, you know, you're you're picking this kind of base managed care plan with this network, but not really meeting the needs of your your employees and you might be overpaying right because they're going out of network and you're picking up all this out of network cost uh yes i mean i think i think that is um that is definitely an opportunity to take the same technology apply it to analyzing uh corporate plans and helping their employees pick the yeah. right plan um cuz most corporations do offer two or three options uh for their employees to choose between and even there, people are confused, right? They're yeah. like, I don't know, should I pick this one or that? I mean, if you if you talk to folks, a lot of them don't do any detailed analysis. They just pick kind of the plan that's, oh, I hate Kaiser. I don't like Kaiser. I'm not picking Kaiser. Okay. Have you ever tried Kaiser? That's quite, you know, my, maybe Kaiser's right for you. You know, Kaiser's a, an option here in California that's very popular. Um, And it's kind of an all-in cost, an HMO that, Yes, you can't just go see whoever you want whenever you want, but um, if you follow the procedures, your out-of-pocket costs are really low on yeah. Kaiser. You know, my my sister had her son, and she calls him the ten dollar baby because she literally had a baby for ten bucks, and she didn't have to pay anything else. Versus, you know, I remember when we had our children on a normal PPO plan, it was still like a couple grand out of pocket for us. Um, and the bills and, just keep, kept coming in, right? It's like, and they did. Like, and it was like <laughs> the anesthesiologist and, oh, yeah. but he was out of network. I'm like, wait, but I was in an in-network hospital. And, you know, you get all those surprise billing issues, and exactly. which, which they've legislated some of that now and gotten rid of it, thank God. But um, but you're right. There's a real opportunity here. So. Yeah. You know, really appreciate it, Majal, to, for you joining us today. And uh, we look forward to catching up uh, at some point in the future. All right. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.